Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message with teaching pastor Daryl Feemster. Did you have a hard time finding your seat this morning? Yeah? We are so people of habit, right? We just messed up. Some, pop, some, some people may just stop coming because they didn't have their seat. I hope not. I hope not. Hope find a new seat. Uh, we we the only the only unchanged seats are the ones on the back. Guess who? They, same people are sitting there. Not not really. Uh, let me just say we didn't rearrange the chairs to cause a frustration or confusion. We felt for some time the Lord had given us a word that that we need to get ready to give people opportunity, and God gave us three words: place, space, and time. To experience for themselves what the Holy Spirit's going to be doing. And so we're doing our best to obey. Uh, we invite you to, to come. Uh, there's plenty of seats and we're, we are trying to give space. The space at the front here is going to be for those to work to, for you to respond personally. Not going to be anybody if you want to just say, Hey Lord, I'm just presenting myself. We're going to move our ministry teams. We're going to be on each side of our our stage and so you can avail yourself to our ministry teams at the prayer time but more than anything we're just going to welcome the holy spirit we're going to welcome him to come this is his space this is his place and we're going to give him our time and so i i pray that you will pray with us and so we are doing that listen we're, we're in a series called the charismata the charismata if you have your bibles on to invite you to turn to first corinthians 14 first corinthians 14 the charismata is the Greek word for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. At, at NCC, we believe that all the biblical gifts of the Spirit continue to be distributed by the Spirit today. That these gifts are divine provisions central to spiritual growth and effective ministry. That these gifts are to be eagerly desired, faithfully developed, and longingly exercised according to biblical guidelines. And we know, we understand, there's much discussion, debate about the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit cause so much confusion and division even in the church. And we acknowledge that. I believe there's two reasons that uh, there's division and confusion over the gifts of the Spirit. Number one, the big reason is because Satan hates it. Satan understands he has but a short time. And the only hope that Satan has of prolonging his judgment... His final judgment is a weak, powerless, divided church. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are power tools that God makes, that, that, that literally God gives to His body to make Him, His Spirit, apparent and present to heal, deliver, reveal, and affect change in people's lives. If the enemy can keep us confused, accused, and divided, he keeps us from the power source provided by God, which we so desperately need. Number one, Satan. Number two, the reason for confusion and divisions because of our own ignorance and immaturity. Paul says in chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the gifts. So that means that we are. And also, we're immature. We don't understand. And what we don't understand, we don't like to, to talk about. We, we tend to disregard what we don't understand. And yet God has given His gifts. And then there's those that we understand that, that, that there's abuses and weirdness and all those that you've heard about or maybe you've even seen. 
And some would say because there's division or confusion about the gifts, that's reason enough to steer clear of it, don't talk about it, forbid it in the church. And Paul writes in Corinth, Corinth was a church, Paul spent eight 18 months, I believe. Yeah, 18 months in Corinth. And was one of the church. And they wrote him a letter. And he writes a letter in, about things that's going on in the church. And there's a lot of division. There's a lot of things in the church that, that they needed guidelines in. And Paul wrote it in first chapters 12, 13, and 14. Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit. And so we've been looking at that. But sometimes people will say, well, if there's going to cause confusion, you just need to stay away from it. But that's not what Paul is saying at all. You see, in fact, Paul said in chapter 1, verse 7, the first part of it, that the Corinthians had not come short in one and no spiritual gift. Not one spiritual gift had the Corinthians not gotten from God. That didn't keep them from having confusion or problems. But let me tell you, the gifts were there. The problem wasn't the gifts. The problem was their own immaturity and carnality. Never forget that the charismata, the spiritual gifts, were God's idea. It was His provision. He gave them to the church. They are His ordained means for building the body and glorifying Himself. If spiritual gifts are the problem, then there's no one to blame but God. The solution to confusion and division and abuse of spiritual gifts is not disuse, but proper use. Nowhere does Paul recommend that the Corinthians abandon spiritual gifts or de-emphasize spiritual power. He simply gives them guidelines on how these powerful manifestations of the Spirit are to be properly exercised in the gathered church. So I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 1. Pursue love. I'm reading from the New American Standard. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Earnestly desire. Zeluo. Zeluo. We get our word zealous from it. Be earnest. Set your heart on them. Be completely intent upon spiritual gifts. And gifts is in italics. Ta numatakos. Ta Yeah, The very fact that it has the uh, present participle, the participle before it means these spirituals. Gifts is not in this word. These spirituals, the numatakos. I can't say it. It's that word. If Paul was wanting to warn them about the gifts, why would he tell them to set their hearts upon them? To earnestly desire them. And so Paul spends the rest of chapter 14, or at least the first 25 verses of 14, in explaining the procedure of those things uh, and there's some words, there's some key words that we need to get a hold of in order to understand what Paul is talking about. Paul goes on in chapter 14 to, about the proper use of the gifts. But the key to understanding them is found in the words edify and edification. Edify and edification. 
This word, the reason I say it's key, it's because it's used in verse 3, it's used in verse 4, it's used in verse 5, it's used in verse 12, it's used in verse 17, and in verse 26. And the word is oikodomeo. Oikodomeo. It literally means to build up or to build the house. It, it is the idea of the process of building, establishing, and confirming. And when we're talking about the house, he's talking about the body of Christ, the, the house of the Lord. And when we started in this, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we read in verse 7, it says, But to each one, every one of us, has been given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And that word common good is sumphiro. Sumpiro. It means to be profitable, to the advantage, to contribute, or to bring together for the benefit of another. In other words, God gave the gifts to be profitable and advantageous, to contribute in the bringing together for the benefit of the entire body. Listen to me. We're not given spiritually, spiritual gifts so we can feel good about ourselves. We're not given spiritual gifts so we can look good or impress others. And we're also not given spiritual gifts so that we can manipulate or get our own way, trying to use God's name. If you want to use God's name in vain, try to use His name to get something you want. Or to manipulate people to come to your side. God gives us spiritual gifts so that we can help others. It's that simple. And Paul goes on to demonstrate with two gifts the proper use of the manifestation of gifts for edification of the church. Prophecy and the interpretation of tongues. What he is saying and what he's contrasting in verses 1 through 25 isn't prophecy and tongues. What he's contrasting is prophecy and uninterpreted tongues. In the corporate meeting of the church. He's establishing that you can only be built up, encouraged, edified by what you can understand. And so if you're going to have tongues, you need to have interpretation of tongues in order that what is being said would be understood and build up the body. Now, I believe that all the manifestation gifts are to be practiced in the church for the edifying of the body of Christ, for the growing of the body of Christ in our world. Paul gives us the guidelines about how that's to be done. I want you to look at verse 26. That's where we're going to read just for the text today. Verse 26. And I'm reading from the New American Standard. What is the outcome then, brothers? Church. When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. And here's the key. Let all things be done for edification, for the building up of the body. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or at the most three and each in turn. And one must interpret. But if there are no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. And let two or three prophets speak, and let the others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So I want us to look at two of these 
gifts. Prophecy and interpretation of tongues. And I believe, I, I believe that Paul is dealing with something very specific to the Corinthians. But in doing so, there's a lot we can learn about his guidelines for the edification of the church, for the body. First of all, I'm going to look at prophecy. Prophecy is prophetuo. Prophetuo. It means to tell forth. Prophecy is the human report of a divine revelation. It is speaking forth in human words something the Holy Spirit has revealed to the person, to the mind, to the heart. The gift of prophecy doesn't mean that you're a prophet. It just means that you can say what God is revealing. It's called prophecy. You're foretelling what God is revealing. And New Testament prophecy is different from Old Testament prophecy. There's a lot of people that argue against, against prophecy because they want to relate everything in the Old Testament to the, to the New Testament term of prophetuo, of the prophecy. See, Scripture's plain. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, with the coming of the Holy Spirit, it fulfilled a word that says that one day all your sons and daughter, daughters would prophesy, would see visions, have dreams. In other words, it's not limited to just one or two. It's not limited to one that's just been raised up. In other words, there is available, to, I believe, to all of us to hear the voice of God, get the revelation of God, and then God give us words by which we share it. I think it's due to all of it. I think that's a very important part of what the church is all about in our day. It's speaking forth in human words. It's not necessarily predictive. If the revelation is predictive, then it's predictive. But it's not about telling the future. It's about telling the revelation of what God is saying. And Paul gives us guidelines with this. But in verse 3 of chapter 14, uh, let me just say this. It's not necessarily predictive or authoritative. That's in the sense that Scripture. Some say there's no, there's no longer any prophecy because now we have the Word of God. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But listen to me. The prophecy that He will give me or you probably will never be written down in a book to be preserved by God. It's already been written. I'm not, I'm say, I'm not, I'm not even saying that. But God still speaks. Would you say amen to that? That God's still alive. He still speaks to His body. And He intends for us to say what He is saying. That's New Testament prophecy. But listen to this, verse 3 and 14. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification. There's that word again. Speaks to men to build up and exhortation. To earnestly persuade, encourage, and strengthen. That's what that word means. And consolation to comfort, console, and to bring hope through their words. In other words, New Testament prophecy is for edification, exhortation, and consolation. It's to build the body up. It's to earnestly persuade and encourage. And it's to bring comfort and hope to the hearer, to the body. Scriptures are clear. Both men and women can prophesy. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 21, 1 Corinthians 11. All prophecy is based on revelation. And here's the key. Revelation. Apocalypto is the same word that's used of the, the word revelation that's in your Bible. Apocalypse. This, this is the same word. So we're not talking about uh, you getting an, uh, an idea or you've read something good or, or you've got it from your study. It is a revelation. It is an unfolding. It is something that God has expressed to you. 
that he intends to be expressed to others. It's a revelation of the Holy Spirit. It's a revelation. It's not something that that is personal insight or intuition or even illumination. It's the human report of a divine revelation. And the third thing that I want you to understand is it's to be judged. Just because God gives you a prophecy doesn't mean that it's absolutely accurate. I'm going to tell you why. But the New Testament prophecy, they'll say, well, all the Old Testament, you're a false prophet if it doesn't come to pass. Well, New Testament prophecy, it's not about coming to pass. It's about being delivering of the message. It's the delivery of the message. See, there are three aspects to New Testament prophecy. There's the revelation. There's the interpretation. And there's the application. The revelation. When it comes from God, it is true. It is absolutely right. It is God. The problem with that is it comes to a man. It comes to my head, your head. It comes with your history. It comes to be interpreted by your history. And so you may get one word or one picture from God, but you're going to put it into words. Well, guess whose words you're going to probably use? Yours. And then there's the application. How many of you know you, God can be absolutely right? You, ha, you just suddenly thought it was this and you gave an interpretation of what that was and you, you've made an application and then you found out that wasn't right. Here's the good thing about New, New Testament prophecy. You can go back to God with the same revelation, get the corrected interpretation and get the right application. The whole point I'm trying to say is God is at work in you and He wants to use you to, for Him to reveal His truth to in order that He might reveal His truth through. But sometimes the pride of man will get in the way and you think that it's got to be the way you said it. No, it's the way God said it. It's that God said it that makes it true. It's not how you said it or how you applied it. It's that God said it. And that gives us a lot of freedom. And what I mean by freedom that is you can risk saying what you think God is saying. Now, let me just say this. I usually don't say, thus saith the Lord. I usually say, I think God's saying. Because I'm giving room that it may not be all that I'm saying. But I think I do have a word. And I think this word is this. And I think what it means is this. But I'm going to give you room to receive it. Are rejected. New Testament prophecy, the revelation is truth because God gives it. The interpretation and the application is fallible. Let me just say it this way. Teaching, the gift of teaching is to take the Word of God and expound it and explain it or teach it to people. How many of you know you can teach it wrong? How many of you have ever been under wrong teaching before? You've heard me preach. You've been under wrong teaching before. The reason I'm telling you that is because we only can teach what we see. But let me tell you, it's what you learn after you knew it all that counts. It's this pride that thinks that I've got to have it all right. No, God's right. I'm going to unfold the best I can what I believe God is saying. That's what I'm doing in preaching. Prophecy is not preaching. Preaching is basically a form of teaching with a burden. With a burden of God to, to, to equip people. I'm going to have to get off that or we'll never get through. So God gives, Paul gives us guidelines. 
What I'm trying to say is there's a freedom in this New Testament prophecy. But it's always going to be, here's some, listen to me, when God says something, if, if it comes out judgmental, dark, and, and, and hurtful, harmful, I can tell you it's not from God. The word that's coming from God is coming out of a heart of love. Now, it's not meaning that He won't correct you, but let me tell you when God corrects you, He does it so good. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's not that He doesn't tell us but that he tells us in a way that we feel exhorted, we feel comforted, and we feel convicted. And it's God. He loves us and he wants the best for us. New Testament prophecy wants the best for the body. All right, now here's the guidelines. Verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak. It's limited. Let the others pass judgment. It's to be judged. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn. There's another key to prophecy. That all may learn and also be exhorted. All may be exhorted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. In other words, there's no prophet that says, I just can't help it. I've just got to. No, the spirit of the prophets subject to the prophet. For all can prophesy one by one. But while one is prophesying, if a revelation comes to another who is seated, they are to stand up and say what their revelation is, and you're to stay quiet. You're to shut up. Isn't that amazing? There's an order to it. And what it makes me see in this is it's about revelation. It's not about the one who's speaking. It's about the revelation. God wants to give the revelation. And so, here's, here's the way I take it. If you ain't getting it all right, somebody else may get it better. So sit down and let them talk. Okay. So the whole point here is there's an order. There's guidelines. In the body, this is to be done to build up, to edify, to grow the church. To bring comfort and consolation and edification. Now let's talk about interpretation of tongues. Hermenia glossa, the interpretation, the explanation of an unknown tongue, an unknown speech. The interpretation of tongues, I believe, may be the most neglected gift in the body of Christ. And one of the more poetic gifts. Because it alone, it alone makes possible the introduction of tongue speech and its explanation into the gathered assembly of the believers. The gift of interpretation is linked with the gift of tongues. Now listen to me. I don't believe the gift of interpretation of tongues necessarily means that you can interpret dreams or visions or prophecies or, uh, you know, or, or parables. It, it is specifically a gift to that which is unknown to be able to be made known. And I really believe it may be the most neglected gift in the body because we don't like tongues we don't even think about interpretation we don't even consider that we expect it but and from what i've studied it's almost like paul expected there to be one or many in the body that literally had the gift of interpretation of tongues and you know who i feel sorry for i feel sorry for the person who gets a message in tongues but they don't know if there's an interpreter around. Do I give the t- message? And here's the thing. I think sometimes we've had messages in tongues 
that there's people that got interpretation, but we're so afraid of being embarrassed, so afraid of missing it, so confused and accused that we don't stand up and give it. And so the whole body suffers because we don't function in the gifts. Now, I'm not saying we have to get up. All I'm saying is God intends it to work together. How often do we pray for the gift of interpretation of tongues? And yet, I believe it's probably one of the most needed things. If God's going to gift people with tongues, it's one of the most needed things, especially if it's going to be in public. Interpretation of tongues. The Spirit-empowered ability to express a public utterance of tongues in such a way that the congregation understands and is edified. And it too has been to be judged. Look at the... Verse 27, here's the guideline, Paul's guideline for the body. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or at the most three. It's limited. And each in turn, and one must interpret. But if there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself or to God. So silent means not to say anything. He can still speak, but he's speaking to himself and to God. Now, I don't mean verbally or out loud, but he can still speak to himself and to God. The interpretation, limited, and yet it's to be judged too. Well, how do you judge prophecy and interpretation of tongues? How do you judge it? How do you know whether it's right or not? By Scripture. By Scripture. There's two... (laughs) Now, those... The Corinth was, was judging their tongues by the apostles' Traditions are the, the things that have been passed from the apostles under the new covenant. But we now have a, a canon, a scripture. We have the truth, the, the Holy Spirit inspired scripture. And we can go to it and find out if the things that are being said that is God's revelation, it will line up with the revelation of scripture. It will be confirmed by the revelation of scripture. Now, now listen to me. The person that says to you, well, I don't care about all that. I just know God told me. Let me just tell you this. If the Holy Spirit told you something and the Holy Spirit inspired the Scriptures, don't you think the Holy Spirit can confirm it with the Scripture? So take it to the Scripture. If you're confused whether something is of God or not, don't take it to a psychologist. Take it to the Scripture. I believe the Holy Spirit, here's for the promise of Jesus, and He will guide you into all truth. He will disclose to you, He will bring back to mind to you the things that I have said to you. So we're not talking about loosey-goosey, that anything that anybody says is God is God. It's to be judged. And sometimes we don't judge it because we're embarrassed for them, or we're embarrassed because we don't know the Scripture well enough to know whether it's God or not. So there's two things that scripture that that Christians continue two errors that Christians continue to make. They think they can handle the word of God without the Holy Spirit. And they think they can handle the Holy Spirit without the word of God. Well the Holy Spirit told me, well the Holy Spirit inspired the word. Listen to this. If you would be full of the spirit, be full of the word. If you would be full of the Word, be full of the Spirit. It's not either or. It's both and. Now, 
What about this? What about this practice? What about these guidelines? Let me just share with the best place to learn how to use the gifts. Because I want to tell you who Paul is talking to right here. You know who Paul is talking to if you go to Acts chapter 18. And in Acts chapter 18, you find that Paul was in Corinth... And Paul was taking, and, and Paul was talking in the synagogue, but they wouldn't receive it. So Paul goes out, and there's a house right next to the synagogue, a house that Justice owned. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, comes to Christ, and he moves to the house that Justice lived, and the congregation begins to meet in the house of Justice. And Paul begins to teach and the, and the body begins to grow in a house. Now, here's the thing. When we think of the church, the gathered assembly, we think of church the way we've always been brought up in it. We, we, we think of a big gathering. We think of, and, and we want to grow it bigger and bigger and bigger. You see, we want the biggest crowd we can get. When Paul was talking to, writing to Corinth, it was a group of people in a sinful city that had fell in love with Jesus and began to become a body and function, and they were about to change their world. It was a, Did you know there was not a church building until 250 A.D.? The best place to learn to use the gifts of the Spirit, to be used by the Spirit, is in a group, a small group of your peers who you know and who know you. Then you can say, this is what I think I hear God saying. And they can say, amen or oh me. They can say, well, where is that in Scripture? And you can learn how to walk in the revelation of God and how to talk it. And, and if you want to learn how to speak in tongues, let me tell you, you say, well, I've, I've been praying for the gift of tongues, but I just don't know if I... The best place to practice tongues in a public sense is in a small group of peers who will be able and hopefully... The same place to learn the gift of interpretation. And if we can do it among those that we know trust us and love us, maybe we can begin to trust God enough to step out the doors of the house into the world that we live and see God manifest there. The whole point I'm trying to get across to you is we keep trying to make it happen in a crowd. Listen, the... The, the biggest danger to prophecy and tongues is the pride of man. The biggest abuse to prophecy and tongues is arrogance and ego. You do know what ego means, right? Ego, egg God out. I'm going to be more important than God. So, do we have a protocol here about tongues and, and, and prophecy? Yes, we do. What we, would, what we would ask you to do, if you believe you have a word for the church, you believe it's something that needs to be done public, can I invite you to do something? Write it down. First thing to do is take it to Scripture. If you still believe it's a public word, something that needs to be done, and you believe that God wants to be shared, then share it with the pastor or the elders. I guarantee you we take it seriously. Because we are given the responsibility of ministering in this house. Will it be shared immediately? Maybe not. It may be. 
But the whole point is, it's going to be judged. It's scriptural. Follow me? If there was going to be a tongues, we're going to expect an interpretation. I'm sure there's times that there's been interpretation in the heart of a head of one of the others, but we're so embarrassed to say it, we don't want to be wrong. We don't, and so we don't ever say nothing because in church, you know, in a big crowd, you're not supposed to say anything. And so the whole church... But let me tell you, if we can learn how to do it in the small, we won't be offended when... People don't, it doesn't seem to be accepted by the big. Are you hearing me? Listen to me. Tongues and prophecy are the focus of Paul's instructions in chapter 14, not because they're more important or more spiritual than other gifts, but because they're more susceptible to abuse. Pride. Ego. And because we've seen it in others, we shall away from it ourselves. And my friend, God wants to speak to you. He wants you to be a part of what He's doing in the world today. I believe more than, if there is a book in the Bible that describes where we're at in our world today, it's Corinthians. Because they were a rich city, they were rich, and they had sin running rampant. And all those kind of things. And Paul was writing, but right in the middle of it, there was a church learning to grow up and be who called them, who God called them to be. And they were about to change Athens, change Corinth. We can change our world too. Okay, let me stop. The reason, last, the reason for confusion about the charismata and the gifts of the Spirit is because people are trying to analyze it, preach it, teach it without ever experiencing it themselves. They can tell you how it won't work. Not many can tell you how it does work. You'll never understand the gifts or gifting of the Holy Spirit until you're all in. You see, the Christian life is not something that you can stand on the outside of and try to look in and come to understand it. That's where a lot of people are today. They come to church every Sunday, but they're kind of sitting on the sidelines like a jury trying to judge, trying to judge whether this can be real or not. Whether it's real or whether, you know, I'm just not sure. You know, I like the things. I like the singing. I like, I'm just not sure. I'm trying to understand it from the outside. It's not until you get all in that you find yourself right. Sort of, you'll never understand until you're all in. Last Sunday night, Connie and I went over to First Baptist Church to a piano concert, and it was good. And we were walking up to the building, and I noticed the stained glass windows. They have beautiful stained glass windows. But from the outside, they're dark. The stained glass windows are dark. Now, I know that the stained glass windows have a message there's words on them, and there's a beauty to them, and I know all of that. But from the outside looking, it's just dark. It wasn't until I got all the way in that the beauty and the majesty of those stained glass windows became a reality to my life. I saw the words. I saw the message. I saw the pictures. And I could, I could worship and be a part of. But from the outside looking in, it was just dark. Folks, listen to me. You can't understand the spiritual gifts from the outside looking in. 
The hope of that is for us to open our hearts, receive the Holy Spirit, and be all in with what He's doing. Be all in. Thank you for listening to this week's message. 